Reading in your head versus reading out loud are two very different things. And you come to the realization that certain words just should not be grouped together. There's a lot of emotional moments for me in this book, and I think it will be apparent to the listener. I'm proud that I was able to narrate the letter to my mother at the end. I think that brings together a lot of ideas I have about American healthcare. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet former deputy editor of Vanity Fair, Dana Brown, mathematician and data scientist, Kathy O'Neill, and emergency medicine physician, Dr. Thomas Fisher. Press play to hear about the personal moments that made narrating their own audiobooks so special. Enjoy. Hi, it's Dana Brown, author of Dilettante, True Tales of Excess, Triumph, and Disaster. I wrote a television pilot about 10 years ago that was roughly my story set in the magazine business, but it was set in the sort of end of the magazine business. It was sort of a slightly depressed, middle-aged magazine editor who knew that his industry was dying and he was going to be out of a job soon and was suffering through this sort of existential crisis in his life, I actually sold that show to one of the streaming networks and uh, did a rewrite, and then they never called me back. I was slightly bummed out, and a few people said, you know, maybe you should do the story of the good stuff, like the stuff in the 90s and the 2000s when the industry was thriving and doing really well. And I'll be honest, it sounded like a lot of work, and so I just totally ignored it. But then flash forward, you know, almost a decade or a little less, and I left Vanity Fair in the winter of 2018. And as I write about in the book, there weren't magazine editing jobs out there. To be blunt, at a certain point, I needed some money. And I remembered back to, you know, people mentioning and suggesting, like, why don't you write this as a book? And I put a proposal together, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I can do it. And I didn't want to write some tawdry tell-all about Condé Nast. I didn't want to write The Devil Wears Prada or How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. I felt like that had been done. I kind of wanted to do the opposite, and I kind of wanted to write about how great it was and what a great time it was and how important it was to me and my development, both personally and professionally. And that was it. You know, I sat down and I was petrified to write this book. I've never written a book before. I'm not a professional writer. And in the middle of writing it, the global pandemic hits. And not that I was struggling with the book before that, but it really gave me a moment to sort of pause and step back and take a sort of more honest look at my life as I sort of plowed through the history and wrote it in book form. I sort of like reading it. I think it's fun. And I think I succeeded in celebrating an era that I think deserves to be celebrated. If I had to describe what it was like to record this audiobook in one word, you know, I'm going to have to go with blurry. And the reason I say blurry is, you know, you think you're going to come into this sound room and just sit there and read through it and it's going to be easy. But boy, you know, after you spend three or four hours doing this, your eyes really start going. And so this has actually been a really great experience and I don't think we've had any struggles. But boy, I never thought I would be this tired from sitting in a chair for hours and hours on end, but I've just been wiped out. But blurry is the word, because I'm having trouble seeing words right now. You know, there were so many words I had trouble 
pronouncing simple words that I have written a million times but realized I hadn't said. I can't think of anything specific. There sure were a lot of them. But what happens in this process is you start having trouble pronouncing just like normal, simple words. And that becomes what you stumble over. Also, reading in your head versus reading out loud are two very different things. And you come to the realization that certain words just should not be grouped together when being read out loud. I'm excited that listeners will get to hear this book, which is my story in my voice. You know, anytime someone writes a book, I guess, you know, you have to have an audiobook nowadays for good reason. And do I read it or do I have somebody else read it? I thought, boy, would it be so much easier just to hire someone else to do it. But I really thought, because this is my story, because these are my words, it probably made the most sense in my voice. So I'm just excited that listeners get to listen to my voice telling my own story. And as much as I hate my own voice, I think it's sort of important that it is my voice telling my story. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I probably wouldn't have hired a professional voiceover person, but I would want someone British. And I think my choice would be the author Edward St. Aubin. I don't think I've ever heard his voice, although he is British, but I just want him to read my book, and this would be a way of forcing him to read my book. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. As I was adjusting to my new life at 44, Anna Winterstar had been rising steadily. In the early 90s, top-tier magazine editors were New York's movie stars. They were fawned and fussed over wherever they went, covered in the gossip columns like celebrities and in the business sections like industrialists. And Anna was the market maker. She had been the powerful editor of Vogue since 1988, and her ascent had been swift. Winter was pedigreed. Her father was the editor of London's Evening Standard. She was bred for success. Hi, this is Kathy O'Neill, author of The Shame Machine. I wrote my book because I saw shame becoming more and more obvious and powerful in all sorts of interactions that I was having and that other people were having. And I wanted to understand when did it work? When did it fail? When was it appropriate? When was it inappropriate? Because sometimes it was clearly inappropriate. Sometimes it seemed like the only tool. And I wanted to, for myself, I wanted to understand it. I sort of wanted to study it as a sort of philosophical question at first. And then I started realizing that the lens of shame that I had built for myself might be useful for other people. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, I think that word would be confirming. There are lots of moments when I thought, oh my gosh, did I forget to say this? And then it came out like a few paragraphs or pages later. So I guess the long and short of it is I'm kind of happy with how it ended up coming out. I realized as I was recording the audiobook that I had trouble pronouncing catechism, social mores, and there was one other word. Oh yeah, Laura Ingram. Didn't know her. I always thought it was Ingraham, but... I'm kind of glad I didn't know that one. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and it's kind of annoying when you hear the reader of the audiobook, who isn't the author, emphasize the wrong words or even mispronounce words that are in the wheelhouse of the writer. So I was proud to be able to read it the way I meant it to be heard. And I guess on top of that, there's a lot of emotional moments for me in this book. 
And I think it will be apparent to the listener when things get emotional, because my <laughs> regularly husky voice gets even huskier. If I hadn't been able to record my own audiobook, I would definitely have asked Betty White to record it, because she's like, fantastic, and I'm really sorry she just passed. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I'm such a critic of books that I can't say that I've loved any book that I've listened to. To be fair, I you know include my own books in that category of books I do not love. I think there was one audiobook that I really, truly loved, and that was The Handmaid's Tale. I listen to audiobooks when I'm walking my dog around Fresh Pond in Cambridge. It's almost an entire hour, so it's a good chunk of a book, which is nice. And now please listen to a clip from my audiobook, The Shame Machine. I suffered plenty of humiliations in gym class, but the most excruciating was the yearly weigh-in for the presidential physical fitness test. I remember standing in line in the gym for my turn to be weighed. As each child ahead of me stepped onto the scale, the nurse shouted out the result to the gym teacher who wrote down the numbers on a pad. My classmates all seemed to weigh about 70 pounds. I was well aware that I weighed more than 100. As I stepped onto the scale, I bowed my head in shame, my face hot, my stomach in knots, bracing myself for the nurse to call out the embarrassing number. Hi, this is Thomas Fisher, author of The Emergency. I've been a practicing emergency medicine physician for about 20 years. And in that time, I've seen little progress in the care of my patients. While technology and interventions have evolved over time, the wait times, the pace of suffering, and the needs have not changed at all. The book was an opportunity to step back and compile what I've learned and present them to my patients in a way that I hope they can understand. It was also a time for me to step back from my professional career and look at myself. Who am I and what have I become in the 20 years of practice? If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be exhausting. It's incredibly challenging to remain focused on a page and articulate word by word without improvisation an entire book and do so in three days. Even if the words are my own, I mean, I wrote it months ago. I left each day tired, ready for dinner and a nap. I realized I had trouble pronouncing Ira Katznelson. I also stumbled with ambulance regularly, even though it's a word I use every day. I'm proud that I was able to narrate the letter to my mother at the end. I think that brings together a lot of ideas I have about American healthcare. In addition, I'm excited that listeners will be transported back to 2020 and sit with me in March when I first entered the emergency department during COVID. It's a moment that I won't easily forget. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast one of two people, Morgan Freeman or Denzel Washington. In a recent video on Twitter, Denzel Washington is interacting with Chicagoans in an unexpected visit and shows he knows us. I would love to have his voice on this as well. In reality, I don't listen to audiobooks. I really enjoy the physical experience of turning pages and holding my place to come back. I do love listening to podcasts when I take long walks around the neighborhood or along the Riverwalk in Chicago. 
And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. We had been waiting for the virus to appear in our ER, but when it did, a heavy pall still fell on the department. Unmasked nurses with long faces spoke in hushed voices and laughed nervously as the patient was directed to room 41, a negative pressure room that had been designed in 2015 to contain Ebola. The negative pressure in the room keeps the patient's air from contaminating the rest of the department. And the room has a window and microphone in the wall so that we can communicate with the patient while remaining safe outside. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.